You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Well, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3 as I introduce a new sermon series. You know, uh, there is a lot of negativity in the world today. It's amazing. I mean, you, it's overwhelming almost. To, to, to click on a news app and just to see what's happening in Haiti right now, there's an earthquake that is taking the lives of hundreds of people. By the way, our missionary Mike Coop is in flight right now to Haiti right now as we speak. I just got a text this morning that he is in the air and heading to that country. Um, There's a short window of time to get to the country before they close it down, and he's going to get there and be boots on the ground. Amen? That's our missionary that we support heavily, and we're grateful for that. Um, What's happening in Afghanistan? You know, I mean, this war, COVID, and and many other things. I mean, there was, you know, a, a massive fight on the streets of L.A. last night, bloodshed. I mean, it's just the, the world has been affected by sin, and there's so much negative. I get it. I, I get it. But, you know, I, I want you to be refreshed this morning. And there's a lot of things I'm going to say in the next few moments as we introduce this series, but our goal is to be encouraging over the next few weeks, to be encouraging, to be refreshing, and to remind you of some things about the Bible and what Scripture says and how we can be refreshed, and there's so much there. But before we do these next few weeks, we're going to also share a video. Just a, It may be not even related to the message as much as it is just, hey, how about an injection of encouragement? It's funny, after I showed this video, I had several church members say, hey, I got another one. I got to be encouraged by this. Be encouraged. Thank you. I'll take all the encouragement I can get. Obviously, I'm not the only one that's looking for stuff like this. But I, I like this gentleman. He's, his name's Ernie Johnson. His mantra in life is trust God always, or trust God, period. He's a sports broadcaster that's a born-again believer, and he was speaking to the Alabama football team this past week, and I want you to be encouraged. He's got a special needs son. I've got a special needs daughter. Listen to what he has to say, and just be refreshed. Just be encouraged in difficult days. NBA on TNT and TBS. When Nick Saban asks if you would come and speak to his football team, Yes and no, not the answers. What time is the answer? And what I've had at Turner, I've been there for 32 years now. What I've got is a get-to job, not a got-to job. I get to do that. When you look across a room and you lock eyes with a teammate and you're wearing the same colors that you get to, that's not a got-to. See, the reason our show is successful is because nobody tries to make it about themselves. Chuck's never tried to do that. Shaq's never tried to do that. Neither has Kenny. And God knows I'm not trying to. Nobody cares what I think about a basketball game. I'm just trying to get us from point A to point B to point C, and I'm trying to make these guys shine. It's about knowing your role. So what is your role? There's value in everybody. Everybody on our team at Turner value in every position. When I think about value, I think about this kid right here. See, I'd come home from work one day and she said, you know what we need to do? She says, no, we need to go to Romania and adopt a kid. I said, no, hold on. I mean, we've got two children. We've, you know, we're the script. We're following the script. Don't be afraid to go unscripted, folks. Cheryl had seen a, a story on ABC News about these Romanian orphans being warehoused. Those with special needs were just forgotten. 
let's give a kid a second chance. So we went unscripted. The nurse who handed this boy to her, you know what, you know what she said? She said, don't take this boy, he's no good. Can you imagine? And I said, bring him home. He gets diagnosed with muscular dystrophy, which a lot of kids don't make it out of their teens when you got that, because your muscles don't grow, they waste away. The coach with less hair than me, a guy named Phil Bolier. Michael, at this point, is in high school. See, this coach knows what I know. He knows there's value in everybody. He said, I want him to be my five-foot-tall impact player with no vertical leap. He said, because I see value in him. Because the day I met him, I followed him into his classroom. I had a conversation with him, and Michael doesn't communicate well. And he has a kind of a rain man kind of memory. So if he meets you, you tell him what you drive, he'll never forget it. So he has this great memory, but he also has this three words he loves to say. You don't have to say it to him first. He just says, love you too. This is from a kid who didn't speak until he was eight. So Phil Bolier asked if he could be on his basketball team so he could teach his team two things. Maximum effort for Michael to move any muscle in his body. Takes everything he's got. And he said, I wanted to teach my team having a heart for others. And that heart for others runs deep. Where you can lock eyes with the teammates and say, I'd do anything for you. I would do anything for you. He teaches all of his students how to say I love you in sign language. He says, and, and, and look, if you, if you tip your index finger at the other person, it means love you too. So that on senior night, Michael goes out last. My wife and I follow his wheelchair out there. Like the other players, people are standing and applauding. But unlike the other players, I look up in the student section and they're standing like this. Because this kid, this Romanian orphan, and this coach from Indiana somehow got together in a gym in Brazelton, Georgia, and taught this huge school about love. Remember, don't take this boy, he's no good. Right. Value in everybody. When you step away from your agenda and notice that there are moments that can make somebody's life better. That's all I try to teach me and I mean teach my kids. When you wake up in the morning, how am I going to make somebody else's life better today? And there's a team much bigger than this. There's a there's a team that is trying to make somebody's day better. That's all of us. I was just going to wear this shirt today, and I thought it'd be a little informal just to, to show up in a t-shirt. But this is what's underneath. Be a better human. How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Love you, too. Wow. That was awesome, wasn't it? Are you encouraged this morning yet? Wow. I love that. And I just, I, I just needed to be encouraged this week, and I thought I'd share that with you. I don't know if it'll connect with the message. I, I, I do want to tell you this. Can you do that? I love you, too. I love it. Isn't that great? And, hey, we are a team, and why don't we get on the same team for the next 35 minutes And let's see if God can't give us something that we can leave this locker room and go tell the world, shall we? 
Acts chapter 3, verse number 17, we're going to be talking about refreshing things over the next few weeks. How can we be refreshed? And this morning, our, our theme is, I want you to see the, the, the theme of the message again, and it's discovering revival from the presence of the Lord. Revival is something that is refreshing. It, it doesn't happen all the time, not that it can't, it could, and maybe it should. But I do know there are seasons of refreshing that bring great revival in our lives. And I want to share those things with you. But before we do, notice in Acts chapter 3, Peter is speaking here and he says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold you by the mouth of all the prophets, here's what God foretold you by all of them, that his Christ would suffer. He fulfilled that. And here is his conclusion. Peter says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And here it is. Here it is, church. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's our theme right there. The last time I preached this, I looked it up this morning. 2001, or about 20 years ago, I preached this message. Not this exact message, but one like this on being refreshed. Our theme for the next few weeks Times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. And would you not agree with me that we need those times of refreshing? Have you ever experienced a time of drought in your life, a dry time? A time where, man, it's just like, I'm just not there. I just, I don't even know if I want to go to church this morning. Anybody ever been there? Am I the only one? I'll go first, okay? I'll go first as long as somebody goes with me after I go, all right? I don't mind being, I don't mind being the first one, but I always like a little participation. I've been there. I'm time of, and then a season of great faith. And it's like, I'm telling you, I'm ready to attack hell with a water pistol. I mean, let's do it. Let's go. I'm ready. And then another season maybe of doubt. I don't know. I hope I've done the right thing. I guess this Christian thing's okay, but I, and then another season of great victory. There are times when, when we have those moments in our lives where we struggle. But listen, I, I, wanna, I want you to know there are times of refreshing. And what I'd like to do is take a few weeks and preach from passages, maybe even with the assistance of some of our other pastors, and, and, and just preach from scriptures that will be encouraging to you, refreshing to you, because only Jesus can satisfy. So where does this refreshing come from? Well, I can assure you, pastors don't refresh people. Sermons alone don't refresh people. And churches don't refresh people. Here's where this refreshment that we're going to be talking about comes from. This refreshment, this renewing, this reviving comes from the Lord himself and through his presence. Now, if you've attended church here in recent weeks and months, you would know this. You would know that we have been emphasizing recently in a sermon series that often we can confuse the great doctrine of God's omnipresence with God's manifest presence. In fact, we've said uh, that we know God is everywhere. In fact, David said in Psalm chapter 139, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there, I mean, even there, your hand shall find me and hold me. God is everywhere. And we see that. 
We can't get away from God, and that's good news. However, just because God is everywhere does not mean that God is equally manifest everywhere. That's why we pray prayers and sing songs like, Open up the heavens, rend the heavens, and pour out your spirit. Come down and meet with us. Early this morning, about 6 a.m., driving around the the properties and praying, kind of a, a normal routine for me, but this morning it was a little special. Starting the new series, knowing what I was going to be preaching and thinking about the manifest presence of Christ in this place this morning, I was praying, oh God, as I looked into the heavens and saw a fog kind of in the air, and I thought, oh God, could that be? Could it, could it look like that this morning from a spiritual perspective? Could you come down and just envelop us and cover us? Yes, God is here. He is everywhere, but he's not manifesting his presence equally everywhere. There is something in the manifest presence of God that exceeds the omnipresence of God. In fact, James chapter 4 verse 8 says it clearly like this. If we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. And so Acts chapter 3 and verse 20. What we're talking about here when we speak about these times of refreshing that come from the presence of the Lord. We're talking about his manifest presence. That's why our subtitle is Discovering Revival. And this morning we sang about the God of revival. This morning we prayed a prayer admitting some things that we understand but don't always do because we desire revival. I asked the help of a couple of our pastors this week, uh, Scott and Jeremy, just to discuss and, and study this with me, this verse, this idea of refreshing. Jeremy returned with this thought about the, the Greek word is a noun that figuratively means, this was so good, to catch your breath. I was thinking about that just for a moment, about how this week has been. This has been a crazy week. School has started, and, there's, uh, and, and for some, school will start next week. I get it. But, I mean, it's amazing how the campus changes. The parking lot goes from 10 cars to 50 cars. I mean, the, the, the list of emergencies go from 1 to 15 per day. The air conditioning's out. The door's broke. Th- this is gone. Th- th- this teacher's a little late. This, uh, it's crazy. I mean, this, this table got flipped over. You know, we had a table flip over this week in, in the cafeteria. And I mean, the, the principal's called. He's racing down the hallway to get. And sometimes we just need to stop. and Just catch our breath. This refreshing is a catching of your breath. And it's the spiritual equivalent to a personal revival. Thus, the subtitle of our series. We're talking about discovering a personal revival from the presence of the Lord. And oftentimes, this time of refreshing is experiencing revival as a result of repentance. And so we come to this place today to discover revival and to be refreshed. So join the journey with me for the next few weeks. We're going to have a good time. Let's go to our text, our refreshing text this morning. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's where we'll be for the rest of the message. We're going to be refreshed by grace this morning, by God's amazing grace. In fact, every time we preach at the retirement center, if you ask them to sing a song, what do you want to sing? Every time they choose amazing grace. It doesn't matter. Every time. I was there yesterday. 
I was the only one because we, we have got to be careful with COVID right now, so we're just kind of going in one at a time and being very cautious. But uh, they all want to sing Amazing Grace. That's what we see here Paul talking to Timothy about. Second Timothy is a pastoral epistle because unlike Philippians and Colossians that were written to churches, the book of Second Timothy was written to a person. And this person was Paul's personal disciple. Paul had a very tender heart for this man, Timothy. Paul writes this letter from prison. Second Timothy, he, he's at the end of his life as he writes this letter. He's not years away from dying. He's probably weeks away from dying, maybe even days. So he writes a final letter to his favorite disciple, with some final instructions. And with that as a backdrop, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 1. He says, you then, and notice these next two words, how tender they are. You then, my child. I've got some young men here in our ministry that I feel very close to, and we have a very young staff, and I'm, I'm a, an, a, more of an elder pastor, not old, just elderly, you know. And... Uh, and, and, and so I feel sometimes that way towards these men, you know, just, man, I don't know that I would ever say child, but you do feel, you, you, you feel a, a very tender moment with young men that are so energetic and excited, have so much potential, and you see sometimes yourself and them back when you were young, right? And Paul says here to Timothy, he says, you then, my child, listen, I want you to be strengthened by the grace And this grace is in Christ Jesus. The first thing I want to do just for a moment is define grace because grace has been defined in a number of ways and there's a lot of creative definitions given to grace, right? But the most popular one, I think, is, or the one that I've heard the most and that's kind of been on rewind my entire life is unmerited favor. Grace, unmerited favor, that's what it is. Grace is unmerited favor. And the emphasis is always placed on unmerited, always. It's always about you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, But by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. You've had nothing to do with it. It's a gift. It's free. I get it. That's true. No question about it. Salvation is by grace. You don't earn salvation. It is free. I get it. But the emphasis sometimes is placed on that, and so we're kind of left with, you know, okay, I, I, yeah, you're right. I don't deserve it. I, I, I can't earn it, and, and it's all true, and that's good news. But wait a minute. What about the word favor? It doesn't seem like we emphasize that word very often. If grace is unmerited, yes, we can't earn it, then why in the world is it unmerited favor? Favor is God's disposition to help you. I remember hearing Dr. Adrian Rogers preach a message when I first started listening to him, and he said something that always was humorous to me. I heard him say it several times in different messages. He said this, why do preachers always preach like God is in a bad mood? I've heard a lot of preachers preach like that. Good night. I walked out of the church thinking, man, God must be super angry today at me. Can I tell you something? God's actually in a good mood today. He loves you. He wants to give you favor. His disposition is to help you. 
His disposition is to come alongside you. God's disposition is to assist you, is to bless you. How good is that? How refreshing is that? Just a small little twist there. Yes, it's unmerited, but God, his disposition is to give it to you, to flood your life with grace. Like a river flowing from heaven, God wants to pour out his grace upon this place. Well, that sounded good. That'd be another good sermon title. Preachers are always looking for good sermon titles. You see, Paul says, be strong in the grace. Paul is saying to Timothy, my child, you're not going to be able to do this by yourself. God wants to help you. It's just too hard. God wants to give you what you need. And so when Paul says to be strong in the grace, what Paul is saying is this. It's unlimited. It is fully available. I am ready to give you grace. Timothy, be refreshed. This is going to be really, really good. But how many times have I started out the day to be totally transparent, full disclosure here, How many times have I started out the day with no seeking after God? No humbling myself. How many times have I gotten up in the morning and gotten my cup of coffee and gotten my shower and returned that text message and answered that email and gone off to work and I wasn't anywhere close to being strong in the grace? Again, I'll be the first to admit that. Have you ever been there? Has that ever been you? I've done it. I've done it. So I want to be refreshed today by the grace. I want to be strengthened by the grace. And so I want to give you these four things next, how how to be strengthened by the grace of God. Four principles that we've got to learn. And interestingly enough, these were principles that Paul poured into Timothy right after saying, I want you to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I want the grace to fall like rain from heaven. And so first of all, he says... In 2 Timothy chapter 2, again, verses 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here it is, verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses for almost 30 years. It'll be, let's see, it'll be 30 years, I guess, next year. It'll be 30 years. I've been preaching at Gospel Life. I've preached in three buildings total. The first building was a little... 16 by 80 shotgun bowling alley type building. <laughs> uh, we then built the 300 seat auditorium. It's now our Spanish church and preached there for about 10 years. And here I am preaching now here for the past 15 or 16 years in this beautiful facility that God gave us years ago. This is all I've ever known. It's the only pulpit I've ever preached from. This is the only, I, I, I mean, I'm talking about as a pastor. This is the only congregation I've ever known. And I have many times preached from this place to witnesses, to people who have come to learn, to listen. And what he says here is, what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, here's what I want you to do with it. Entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So first of all, he gives what we're going to call a teacher principle, and that is this, to transfer what you learn. If you want to be strengthened by the grace of God, then take what you've learned and transfer it. It is so refreshing. Hoarding hinders grace. God only pours so much into people who say something like, well, well, it stops with me. I don't mind hearing it. I'll, I'll hear it and hear it and hear it. I'll learn and learn and learn, but I'm not going to give it out. 
That's not God's plan. That's the Dead Sea. I've been to the Dead Sea. Nothing ever goes out of the Dead Sea. Only things go into the Dead Sea. It's full of salt. It's dead. In fact, I've learned to be a pretty good swimmer in the Dead Sea. I'm not a really good swimmer, but in the Dead Sea, I'm an excellent swimmer. And here's what it looks like. You just float. I mean, I'm in a hotel here right on the cusp of the Dead Sea. The shore of the Dead Sea is just a few yards away from this hotel. And inside the hotel, there's this pool, and it's full of the same water that's in the Dead Sea. And as soon as you get it, you couldn't drown yourself in the Dead Sea if you tried. It's impossible. It's full of salt. And because of the salt, nothing lives there. There's a picture of the Dead Sea there, and here's a picture of the shoreline of the Dead Sea. All salt, nasty. And here's a message from my dear friend, 50 seconds from Pastor Back in Australia to Gospel Light this morning. G'day, church. I'm standing here by the Dead Sea. This is an amazing place to be. When you put your hand down, you can taste a little bit of that water, and it's incredibly salty. The Dead Sea is an amazing place because it has no outlet. All the water comes from the fresh water from the Sea of Galilee down through the Jordan River, comes into this place, and there is no outlet. See, the Sea of Galilee has an inlet and an outlet, and it's teeming with life, whereas here, it's dead. There's nothing left. It all comes in, stays here, and nothing goes out. That's not to be our Christian life. Our Christian life is a Sea of Galilee life that should be full of abundance of life, coming in and flowing out. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It ought to flow through your belly like rivers of living water. That's the lesson from the Dead Sea. That's the lesson from the Dead Sea. There's no outlet. There's only an inlet. And God's desire for every one of his children is to be a teacher. How many of you are grateful for teachers? Amen? Can I get an amen? Christian school just started this past week. We've got teachers from our Christian school that are here. We've got public school teachers that are here. Could I just for a moment honor our teachers with a gift card? If you're a teacher, and if I don't have enough, I'll get more for next week. Raise your hand if you're a teacher in the building. Christian school, public school, and ushers, would you, while they have their hands up, give them a card to go eat lunch this week. Amen. This is give them all out. If we run out, we run out, and I'll get more. Give them a hand. Yes, our teachers. They... They are excited to be back, but let me tell you why they're excited. The only reason they come back is because they get three months off. (laughs) That's right. I'm telling you, after the next eight or nine months are over, guess what's going to happen? They're going to need three months off. That's the only way to survive. But I am so grateful for our teachers. Take take just a moment. Let Let me give you this thought. Thank you, teachers. When you're a young Christian, you learn. You just learn. I remember when I got saved at age 13, right? I didn't know one Bible verse. I'd gone to church all my life. But the church that I went to, the religion that I was involved in, you were told not to bring your Bible. It was almost offensive to bring your Bible because the person who was up there, he was the one that that knew it. He, He could take care of everything. In fact, I was even raised to believe that there was a man that could actually absolve my sins and forgive my sins. And so that's why I would go to the confessional booth and and ask him to forgive my sins. I had no relationship with Jesus. I didn't even pray to Jesus. I prayed to the priest. I, I mean, this was just the culture that I grew up in. So when I met Jesus and got saved and learned for the very first time, John three sixteen, wow, it's like, this is so cool. 
I'm actually memorizing the Bible. I was memorizing whole chapters of the book of Psalms, and man, I was hungry. I was sitting on the edge of my seat. For the first time, I was learning and 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 learning like every young Christian should. But eventually, I started growing. And I started getting more mature in Christ. In fact, I became a mature, reproducing disciple. And, and one of the reasons I believe that we don't get the grace we need for the things we're facing is because we listen and we learn. And we listen and we learn. And, and we agree and we nod our heads. But we, for some reason, feel no sense of responsibility to take what we've learned and give it out. And that's what this discipleship program this year is all about. It's so refreshing to be a discipler. I had my discipleship meeting this past Thursday in my office with all of my guys. We got together. We started sharing. We're on, we're on the um, applying the gospel section. Excuse me. Applying, some of you that are taking the program, uh, going through the, the discipleship program, know what I'm talking about. And so we were on lesson number one still. The, the subject of sin. And so at the end of the subject, the, the men, we had become so, we, we've become so knit together, and they're all here this morning, and we've gotten so close that we're sharing even the sins that we struggle with. You say, well, man, good night. That's, no, no, no. It's, it's really good. It's really amazing. It's really refreshing. It's really reviving. It's really renewing to be able to just be free to, to talk to men and, and to share with men, and hear their testimonies, and transfer things that we've learned about things that we've been through when we've experienced God's forgiveness and get to tell somebody else about that. That is amazing. And that's what God wants for all of his children. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Can I tell you something, church? People are hungry to learn. I love meeting Scott Mercer who teaches at Champion in the hallway. I love meeting him there. You know why? Because as soon as he walks out of the classroom, he's like a little kid in a candy store. He's like, oh, Richard, it's incredible. I'm like, Scott, what's going on? Like, Settle in. What's oh, no, I'm telling you, man. These kids want it. They're hungry. They're on the edge of their seat. You remember when you were on the edge of your seat? Man, this is so good. I want to learn. And I can't wait to share this in my small group. I can't wait to tell my wife about this. I can't wait to share this with my kids. God's given me something, and I want to share it with others. This, my friends, is refreshing. It's personal revival. That comes from the presence of the Lord. It's the teacher principle. It's an understanding that the fields are ripe and ready for harvest. The problem is not the fields. The problem is the laborers are few. People that want to transfer what they learn. May we today be refreshed by the grace of God. And transfer what we've learned. The teacher principle. Number two, there's the soldier principle. Look at it if you would please. It, it's very clearly stated in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, that we should share in suffering as a good soldier. Now, what's really interesting, by the way, a good soldier in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus, or of Christ Jesus, but look at what's even more interesting in verse 4. He goes on to tell us a little bit about soldier life. By the way, military life, if we've got active military or retired military in this room, I'm sure you can attest to the fact that military life is very different from civilian life. I mean, I'm sure there's similarities, but there's a lot of differences too. 
And so Paul says here to his young protege, Timothy, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since it is his aim, it is his focus to please the one who enlisted him. The military principle, the soldier principle is this, focus on the mission. Focus on the mission. Why is a soldier so focused? Because they realize how easy it is to be distracted. And we are so easily distracted. I realize every Sunday when I preach that most people have their phones with them. And they, 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 they're getting messages as we speak. And there's text messages. There's emails. There's a buzz in your pocket. There's, there's, a, there's, there's Facebook posts that we need to get to. And there's Instagram posts. And there's announcements we need to make about what's happening in our lives so the world can know. And I get it. We're so distracted. We're, we are so caught up in so many different things being pulled in so many different directions. The military, the, a soldier can't afford to be distracted. His life's on the line. His country's on the line. Freedom's on the line. I went to GoArmy.com. I pulled an article down that said the difference between civilian life and military life, it blew me away. I forgot. I mean, there are so many things about being a soldier. When you sign up to be a soldier in the Army, you got to have a certain haircut. you got to make your bed. Come on, ladies. Amen. <laughs> right. I'll tell you, I've met some guys who hadn't made their bed in 10 years. Amen. Got to make your bed. Ain't no question about it. I'd have a certain haircut. Can only communicate with certain people because we just need to limit communication because we don't want you to be distracted. You're a soldier. Can't be entangled in civilian pursuits. Why? Because we're trying to please the one who enlisted us. That's our aim. That's our focus. Soldiers can't afford to be distracted. That's why at Champion Christian College, as we start this week, guess what we did this summer? We put a reminder of our mission all over the place. Every classroom, every hallway, everywhere is the mission to develop Christ-centered servant leaders through a challenging academic environment in order to impact the world for the kingdom of God. That's the mission. And if we ever forget the mission, if we ever don't focus on the mission, slowly but surely, we'll get distracted. We'll focus more on baseball and basketball and, and football and, and, and sports and volleyball. And we'll become a sports school and, and, and we'll become a, an academic school only and just trying to produce a bunch of theologians and, 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 and kind of pride ourselves in, in these things. Nothing wrong with athletics, nothing wrong with just trying to produce theology. But I tell you what, our impact here is to take kids that come here, to give them all of those challenging things, but to send them out to be kingdom-minded servants of the living God, to send revival to this world. Amen. That's what we're about. Harvard used to be a Christian college. Yale used to be a Christian college. And over and over again, we see colleges that started off with a mission to do what champion's doing, but somehow got away from that mission, stopped focusing on that mission, and it doesn't take long before the mission crumbles. And the school is no longer what it's set out to be. Let me encourage you this morning not to be distracted. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1 again. Remember, you then, my child, be strong by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It takes the soldier principle. Stay focused on the mission. It takes the, the teacher principle. Transfer what you learn. Notice next. In fact, for the next one, I'm going to go ahead and put my brand new champion Christian college baseball hat on. Brother Don, 
And it can be yours for $25. And I paid for mine as well, just so you know. Don tried to give it to me free, but I said, no, I'm going to pay like everybody else. I still owe you $5, by the way. All I had was two 20s, and he had no change, and I didn't feel like making a $15 donation. Now I'm under deep Holy Ghost conviction. I should have just made a $15 donation. Look at this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Wow. Do you know who these people are by any chance? Anybody know who that first one is? Somebody scream it out if you know it. Lance Armstrong. Good. Who's the second one? Anybody know? 2000 Sydney Olympics. Marion Jones. What about the third one? Anybody recognize that one? That's 1988 Seoul, Korea. Fastest man on the planet. Ben Johnson. Canadian runner. Story about Ben Johnson real quick. Ben Johnson won. He was the fastest man on the planet. Without question. In fact, the fastest man on the planet for America was Carl Lewis. I loved Carl Lewis. I remember as a kid watching him win so many gold medals. He was so great. But I'm going to be honest with you. When I watched this, and I watched it live, when I watched the race between Ben Johnson, Carl Lewis, and six other Olympians, everybody knew who was going to win. I mean, everybody knew that Carl Lewis had no chance. In fact, he didn't win. He came in second. He got the silver medal. And Ben Johnson stood on the platform, received the gold medal. Carl Lewis, they sang, Oh, Canada. And Carl Lewis got the silver medal until the next day. The next day, they announced that Ben Johnson had been involved in taking some illegal substances and and steroids and drugs, and so they stripped him of his title. The dirtiest race in history, they call it. Marion Jones won five gold medals in the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Seven years later, they found out that she was connected to a Balco drugs enhancing scheme. They ripped all five medals away from her. Lance Armstrong won seven Tour de France's and found out that he was involved in, in, in scandals and drugs and enhancing things, lied about it. They took all of his medals away from him. Interesting story about Ben Johnson is he didn't finish second. He didn't finish third. They didn't even put him last. It was as if he never even ran the race. What do all of these men and women have in common? Just as an illustration, the fact of the matter is, is they will not be known for their incredible athleticism and their winning spirit on the field of play. They're not known for that because they didn't keep the rules. And I realize that it's a struggle to keep the rules. In fact, a moment ago in our prayer for revival, It's very obvious that we know that because we prayed that very prayer in church. Father, we understand that you are our sustainer. You you are, your Holy Spirit is to give us power to overcome, but we sometimes don't do it. Paul said, the things that I I should do, I don't do. The things that I I shouldn't do, that's what I do. And, and, And we get into struggle. And I know that. We all struggle. We all fail to keep the rules. It's so clear too, isn't it? It's so clear. It's all right here. It's so clear. But we all struggle. That's why Peter said, repent therefore. 
He said, so that you can have that revival that God desires for all of us. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. So that times of refreshing can come from the presence of the Lord. And when that happens, there's this river of joy and delight that will wash away the mistakes. And and you can be strengthened by the grace that flows to a humble heart confessing their failure. Because we all make mistakes. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 teaches us, though, that no matter how successful you are, private compromise eventually will lead to public collapse. Man, this has been a tough couple of weeks for me as I've watched some of my dearest friends have to resign from their churches. I say dearest friends, I mean friends, couple dear friends, others I knew of, but and it's just so, it's heart-wrenching. It's heart-wrenching. And when I come to that place where I read that and or see that post, or get the phone call, have you heard? It's devastating. My wife and I usually will have a talk that day or that evening about it. That could have easily been me. That, that I am not susceptible at all to, to have, for there to be an announcement next week. Well, I know Pastor just preached about this, but we have something to say. We found out he's been involved in this, or he's been involved in that. You say, Pastor, have you? No, but we're not at next Sunday yet. It could happen. Let him that standeth take heed lest he fall. I understand that. I understand I'm weak. And without God's strength and grace and power and presence in my life, I am just as prone to fall into sin as anyone. No matter how smart you are, no matter how financially secure you are, how we see the mighty fall doesn't matter. Galatians 6, 7 says that whatever you sow, you'll also reap. That's just how it works. And so we learn from these principles. How can we be refreshed by grace? We can transfer what we learn. We can stay focused on the mission. We can play by the rules. But then I want you to see this final principle here. And I'm going to take off my athletic hat. I didn't. I preached the rest of the message with a hat on in the first message, but I'm getting smarter on the second one. You always preach better in the second sermon. You learn from your mistakes, right? Notice here in this text, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 6. As we walk through the text, continue through. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Yesterday, here's the, well, let me just give you the, the farmer principle. Feed yourself first. So yesterday, I met a farmer. I was hoping I would. I, was, I don't know much about farming. And so I was trying to think, who could I call? But God, in his wonderful grace and and mercy let me meet a guy yesterday we had a good long conversation about farming and I was able to ask him some questions about it because he said he had 150 acres and he told me that for about every acre you get about 150 bushels of corn and so I was doing the math okay 150 times 150 is 22,500 bushels that's a lot that's a lot of bushels and so I was thinking about what, 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 would a, what would a good plan be? Would a good plan be to take all of that, all 22,500 bushels from 150 acres of corn and just to sell it all so we can go buy some more acres so we can have more corn? And he said, no, that'd be a terrible plan because you've got cows you need to feed. You've got food you need to put on the table of your workers and your family. You see... Every good farmer knows you've got to feed yourself first. 
You can't take everything you get and turn it into output. That's why the farmer who labors must be the first, the Bible says, to partake of the fruits. Feed yourself first. I know this is true about my own life as a pastor. I know that I have to keep my heart fed. I know that I have to keep my soul tender, my, my heart tender, because nothing worse than listening to a preacher who is good at feeding everyone else but doesn't feed himself. That's not a good plan. That's not going to last very long. We need the nourishing of our own soul if we're going to have the strength to persevere in this Christian life. Got to stop and catch our breath. We've got to make sure we're having personal revival before we can expect any kind of revival to take place in our families. It's got to happen in our lives. If we were to put your spiritual diet on the screen, I wonder what it would be. I didn't say your, your athletic diet. I know that we, we've got that plan, 10 push-ups and, and, and 15 pull-ups and, and, and two miles a day and the treadmill, and, and, and that's awesome. I didn't say your health diet. I get it. You know, I can only eat this many calories. i got to preach. i got the plan. It's awesome. Let me show it to you. You need to get on this. This will change your life. Thank you. I'm interested. What's your spiritual diet like? What's, what, what's your Bible reading plan? Even if it's just a chapter a day, what's your prayer plan? Is it, even if it's just a few minutes a week, what, what is it that, that you're doing now to, to develop that spiritual life, to feed yourself as a dad first, to feed yourself as a mom first, as a leader, as a pastor, as a teacher? Listen, I'm so glad that Sam's has started to give out samples again, honey. It's amazing. I love Sam's samples, the best. You say, Pastor, do you feel bad about taking them and not buying the food? No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, they're, 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 they're calling you over to their table. They're like, hey, hey. I'm like, hey, yeah, you know, let's get this thing, man. I love it. A little toothpicky, you know. I, I eat it all. I love it. It's amazing. You, you can get a lunch at Sam's for free. You just saw on the sample table. Gloria Ann loves it. That Gloria Ann is famous at the Sam sample tables. It's crazy. I'm if you if you just want to have a good time, call my wife. Say, look, you know, when are you going to Sam's today? Just meet her there. It's every day, <laughs> every day. <laughs> Believe me, it's in our budget. And uh, but the fun part. Sometimes she doesn't buy but one thing because Gloria Ann loves the samples. That's, that's Sunday morning. Sunday morning is like a Sam's sample table. That's all it is. Honestly, I, I'm here to just give you a sample of what the rest of your week can be like. That's all this message is. See, sometimes I think we, we think Sunday morning is just check the box. I've been to church, man. This is all I get all week long. Preacher, I sure hope you're ready to give me everything because i got to live on this until next Sunday. Sunday morning religion has destroyed Christianity. We live in this mindset that Sunday morning is this day that we get filled up with God and then it's got to last for the rest of the week. So we've got this leak in our ship and our, our, our grace leak and our, our spiritual leak. It just kind of wither, withers down until we can finally get to church next Sunday and hope they play a fast song on the first one. I just hope the worship team's on this week or we're in trouble. Man, I hope pastor, whoever's preaching this week, I hope they can keep us awake. Let me tell you something. This is just a sample. There are small groups this week. There's discipleship this week. There's personal devotions this week. There's podcasts this week. There's conversations with a best friend. You're not going to believe what I found in my Bible. There's family devotions. This is just a sample table. 
And my prayer for you at Gospelite this morning is that you would want more for yourself. It's so refreshing. If all you're doing is planning on being refreshed on Sunday morning from 1045 to 1215, trust me, you will be dry before you know it. Feed yourself first or face the fallout of not feeding yourself first. So we've learned how to eliminate the, the drain. And this is how we can have the strength of the grace of God. But notice as we close this morning. Secondly, as we walk through this text, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, and I love this. It says, remember Jesus Christ. I love that. Can I stop here and do a quick commercial for tonight? You know what tonight's all about, really? It's about remembering Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing. Tonight at 5 o'clock, we're just going to, we call it the Lord's Supper. We call it the Lord's Table. Some call it communion. We could also call it, hey, guys, guess what we're doing tonight? Remembering Jesus. We're just going to remember Jesus. What are we going to remember? Look at the text. It says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. He says here, let's get back to the cross. The second thing we need to do is exalt the Lord. Exalt the Lord at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I'm happy all the day. We're going to remember tonight the cross. We're going to remember Jesus Christ and his victory over death. Secondly, or thirdly, notice here, we can anticipate the victory. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, offspring of David, preached in the gospel for which I am suffering. Paul suffered in chains as a criminal. Do you see it there in the text? I mean, I don't know of anybody in Scripture that suffered more than Paul and yet was faithful to the gospel. Did you know that you can suffer and still be faithful to the gospel? In fact, Scripture says that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall, what? suffer persecution I've come to know that sometimes when we are suffering the word of God is going out more powerfully it's amazing God's word is powerful in fact I love Martin Luther's hymn a mighty fortress is our God just first and last verse on the screen a mighty fortress is our God a bulwark never failing he's our helper amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing for still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal I love verse 4 that word above all earthly powers no thanks to them abideth the spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth let goods and kindred go this mortal life also his body they may kill God's truth abideth still his kingdom is forever. Can I refresh you this morning? We are going to win. We're going to win. God, is, we're on the winning side. God is reigning today and forever. And, and this is true that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Wow. And then also notice here in verse 10, he says, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Number four, we need to be willing to endure hardship for the sake of the elect so that they might obtain salvation. You know what? There's a lot I'm willing to endure, Carol Ann, for you, for our kids, for our grandkids, 
and for the kids in our Christian school and public schools and colleges in our community, I'm willing to endure a lot of hardship. I can tell you, it's not easy being a dad and living for God. Brother Daniel, one of my pastor friends from South Carolina, he and his wife and two kids are here for college, beautiful young ladies. Hey, man, good to see you. Is it Caleb? Tell me again. Hannah Mon, that's right, from Dallas, or Texas. Thanks for being here, man. Awesome. It's not easy pastoring and being a dad. I mean, you've been through so much suffering. I think about your sickness. I think about what your church has gone through. You've transitioned your church from legalism to where it's at today. It's hard, isn't it? Can I ask you a question? Was it worth it? Every bit. For the sake of the elect, right? The kids, our grandkids, our kids, our children, our church family. Man, I'm willing to go through a lot to see revival happen. If I lose every friend, if I lose my health, if I lose my life, if I know I'm doing it for the sake of the elect, I'm willing to endure the hardship. That's a good soldier of Jesus. That's refreshing to me. I I never complain about the ministry. I'm not complaining about being a Christian. It's not a woe is me thing. Honestly, I'm having the time of my life serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's worthy. He's worthy. And then finally, we need to expect accountability in this journey. Notice he says here that this saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, here's the accountability. If we deny him, he'll deny us. I think it's important for us to understand that we need to be accountable to that, to our master, to our king. And so let's take a moment this morning. And and let's just open our hearts to this idea of being refreshed by the grace of God being strengthened by the grace. But there's some principles we need to learn here so that we don't leak grace, but rather we get filled with grace because it's fully available. A lot of it. And I'm praying that we would experience a personal revival as the Spirit of God moves and we repent. And it may be this morning that there's somebody here that needs to repent for the very first time of their sins. That was me at age 13. I was full of myself, full of my works, trying to make it all happen, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and I was a good little boy. But I was a lost good little boy, trying to save myself. That's not what grace is. When I came under the gospel, when I understood that I was a sinner, that only Jesus could save me, that he wanted to save me, that he wanted to forgive me of my sins. When I understood that clearly and accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and became a follower of Jesus Christ, that was the best day of my life when I repented of my sins to be saved. But there's been many times where I've repented since then so that I could have times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. I'm not sure which one you are this morning, but I'm I'm asking you to consider as we respond in a moment as the spirit of the living God falls fresh on us this, this, this morning. If God is calling you to come and to pray or stand and pray or stand in worship or sit and pray or come and pray with one of the elders up front, we're ready, we're willing, and God is able. God is able to refresh you this morning. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I love you and I thank you so much for all that you're doing and have done. Father, we trust God right now that you would move among us Because it's only your touch that's going to heal us spiritually. 
and give us, Lord, revival. We, we, we can't manufacture it on our own. It's not about a professional worship team. It's not about how many instruments can we get on the stage. It's not about how we can articulate a sermon. It's not about how, how smart we can be or how, how deep we can come across. It's more just about a, a humility that awaits the power of God to come and move in spite of us. So, Father, I pray that you would take right now this moment, Lord, to move and to work and to know that we're open, we're ready. We pray that we would learn, God, from you this morning so that we could transfer that knowledge to faithful men who will teach others also. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?